When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Winning Plays Podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Welcome back to the Winning Plays Podcast with Brian Robb. I am Rich Levine. And with the election right around the corner, in fact, the election's already in full swing in Massachusetts, people are voting. We have a very special guest, Boston Celtics Vice President of Basketball Operations. It's a new title and team counsel. That's an old title. Uh, Mike Zarin is here on the show. Mr. Zarin, thank you for joining us. That's the only time you've ever called me Mr. Zarin, but uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> not, not the last, not the last. Um, you're back. You're back from the bubble. How's, how's life know. back in the real world? It's strange. You actually have to worry if other people are sick, um, which is not usually a worry down there. Um, you know, you still have to wear masks and social distance just like you did down there, but you could go eat with people and have a drink and, and not be so worried. So um, it's, it's surreal back out here. Can you lead just just a quick victory lap for the NBA? Can we talk about zero positive tests? I was a big naysayer. I didn't think there's any chance you guys were going to pull it off, but pretty impressive. Zero. It's a, positive uh, it's a huge, huge testament, um, mostly to the league office for putting together just an incredible protocol down there, um, and then also to the NBA staff and media and teams who are there, everybody followed the rules. It just goes to show you if you've got decent testing and a bunch of people who are willing to follow the rules, you can keep the virus at bay pretty much anywhere. And, um, you know, I hope testing gets cheaper, but uh, it's, I, I'm astonished that it actually worked as well as it did. And uh, just huge, huge credit to Dave Weiss and a whole group of people at the league who, who put the whole thing together and made it work. Before we get into the reason you joined us, is there any silver lining in seeing Rajan Rondo win another title? I'm not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just okay. so everyone listening knows, they enticed me to come on this podcast <laughs> by saying we were going to talk about ranked choice. I didn't, I didn't talk to, to Rich about that. that. I didn't expect him to throw that in. That's <laughs> okay, so, so here we go. Pretend that, that B-Rob, that Brian Rob knows nothing about question two on the ballots in Massachusetts. Can you give us a quick intro? So what, what is question two? So question two would change the way um, that voting happens for a bunch of uh, statewide offices and, and, you know, U.S. House and Senate in Massachusetts um, from the current way we vote, where you vote for, uh, you make one mark on your ballot and you vote for one person um, to a thing called ranked choice voting. And it would take effect in 2022 for um, anything that's statewide in Massachusetts, a couple not full state offices and um, a U.S. House and Senate. That's that's what it does. And where is it around the country right now already, Mike? I know it's like it's in Maine. It's been passed up there. It's in other parts. Like the ranked choice voting has been used all over the world for a long time. It's almost 100 years old in Australia now, um, and it's used in Ireland. A big bunch of U.S. cities. Cambridge has been using it since the 1920s, a form of it. Um, all of the offices at stake uh, under this ballot question are single winner offices. There's a different version of ranked choice voting that's used for multi-winner offices, and Cambridge uses it for city council. But uh, as far as U.S. states go, 
Maine uh, enacted it, uh, started using it in 2018 for statewide elections. And then interestingly, most of the Southern states um, use it for military and absentee ballots because most of those states have runoff elections and there isn't time to print new ballots and send them out and get them back in time for the runoff. So instead, um, some people call ranked choice voting instant runoff voting, and that's basically what it is. So they can go back and look at those ballots uh, and see what would have happened for those voters uh, in the runoff and have their vote for the runoff in advance. So okay, so it's been all over the place for a very long time. This is not a new idea. So, so tell me, and obviously voting yes, is that, that's what you're here to say, is the vote yes. You should vote yes on two. You can go to yesonto.rcv.com and uh, learn a lot more about this, although I'm sure we'll be talking more about it over the next 25 to 30 minutes here, but uh, that's the yeah. So, so, so break it down simply. So let's say there, there, are, there are three candidates, right? Let's say, uh, I don't want to use the most recent one. Let's say um, Ralph Nader, Al Gore, George W. Bush. Okay. Okay. Where does ranked choice voting, how does that help procure a more, a more legitimate outcome? So it helps in a, a lot of ways. I mean, I, I guess you asked me to pretend B-Rob knows nothing about question two uh, at all. So uh, yeah, let's do that. Ask, let me ask you, B-Rob, uh, do you believe that in a democracy, the winner of an election should be supported by a majority of the voters? Yes. You sure? I think so. No. <laughs> well, I'm going to say yes. a trick question. The reason, the reason I asked the question is, um, oh, I don't know, you guys froze on me for a second. Are you good? An yeah, enormous good. proportion of the elections under our current system are won by people who don't, aren't supported by a majority. So when you have two candidates, we'll call them candidate B and candidate C, instead of the names Rich was saying a second ago, and then we'll go to that election in a second. Um, if we knew that 60% of people supported B and 40% of people supported C, uh, not of people, of voters, and you had an election, great, B would win with 60%. Now imagine the same candidates and the same set of voters, but half the people who like B like A over B, but, but still 60% of people would prefer B over C. All right. Now you have percent B gets 30%, and C wins the election with 40%, even though we know that 60% would prefer that B wins. Stuff not like great. this happens all the time. It's not democracy. We end up with a winner that the majority, where the majority would prefer someone else. So, um, you know, in the Bush, Gore, and Nader example, uh, if you assume that all of those Nader voters would have preferred Gore over Bush, and you would ask them, who's your second choice? Um, they probably would have put, most of them would have put Gore because Nader's to the left of Gore. Um, and then, you know, Nader got more votes than the gap between Bush and Gore. So Gore probably would have won the election under ranked choice voting. And, um, and another place where you said it, it comes in big is in like the primaries. Like you talk about Donald Trump in 2016, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you've, you've picked two examples where, you know, there's extreme, more extreme Republicans winning. I mean, a better example is the Massachusetts fourth district that just happened where there were nine candidates and the winner, Jake Auchincloss, who was actually one of the first supporters of our campaign, won with 22.4% of the vote. And the second place person, Jesse Mermel, who also is a big supporter of our campaign, uh, finished with 22.1% of the vote. So only 44% of people even voted for one of the top two candidates 
And in Massachusetts, often the Democratic primary winner just goes on to win the general election. Um, I don't, you know, that election's not over. Jake does have an opponent in the general election, but he's going to win. And so 22% of primary voters ended up selecting the person who's going to represent my district in Congress now. And I like Jake, so I'm not upset about that, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. We don't know what the other 78% of people thought. We know they split amongst a bunch of other candidates. Even worse, a lot of mail-in ballots happened this year. And after some of those were sent in, two of the candidates dropped out. Oh, wow. So those so people's votes are just right. completely wasted. Like if you, if you put one of those people down on an early mail-in vote, um, your vote basically didn't count at all. So you know, there's a bunch of other benefits that we'll get to, but the easiest one is we just find out who the majority actually wants to represent them, um, which the current system just doesn't do over and over again. I'm not cherry picking elections. If you look in 2018, the third congressional district in Massachusetts had a winner, Lori Trahan, who also supports our campaign, that won with 22% of the vote, or 21.7% of the vote. And Dan Cove, who is, a, you know, an aide to Mayor Menino, finished second with 21.0 or something like that. I mean, this happens over and over again in party primaries. And it's ridiculous that such a small percentage of people should be, and, you know, effectively choosing the people who represent them. So what's the biggest pushback that you're like, what's like the number one thing that you hear from people? Because I, I think some people hear all the numbers and their eyes just kind of gloss over, right? It's like too no, much. It's really and they simple. say, I, I want voting to be simple, they say. The biggest thing that people are worried about is that ranked choice voting is somehow confusing. And um, what I can tell you, uh, you know, there's no graphics on a podcast, but you can go to our website and look at what the ballot looks like. It's very simple. We've taught any number of four and five-year-olds to fill out these ballots. You just, instead of candidates, you make it flavors of ice cream or types of pizza. You do this all day. Someone wants to go get a sandwich for you. You say, I'll have a turkey sandwich. If I can't have a turkey sandwich, throw out a turkey, I'll have roast beef. If there's no roast beef left, make it pastrami. Um, you know, I mean, if you're my right. dad, he's only picking vegetables, but it's the same thing. It's not <laughs> hard. Anyone can learn to do this in like two minutes. It's very, very simple. And what ends up happening, um, you know, when you tabulate the votes is you check to see if someone had 50% of the first place votes. And if they did, then a majority preferred that person and great, they win. If not, you look who had the fewest first place votes that person's eliminated and you take those voters ballots and look at who they put second, reallocate among the remaining candidates and check to see if someone has 50%. If they do, then a majority wants that person. And you just keep doing that and eventually someone gets 50% of the votes. Um, and it's one of those things, it's not, it, it's just an option. People can still, if they wanted to, they can just vote for one person. Totally, nothing's making you fill out all the columns. So there's a column of bubbles with one in them and a column with two, and you just fill out one, 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 two, one, three, um, you know, but if you only want to vote like you do now, that's totally fine. You can say, I like this candidate and I have no preference among all the other candidates. Most people have a preference among the other candidates, but you might not. So this is, where did this originate? I mean, you said it's been around for, you know, hundreds of years. Where did this system originate from? Like, um, certain you know, country? I've been there... asked a lot of questions over the course of this campaign. But we stumped them. It is not one of them. I don't know the answer to that question. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, I mean, it's, but it is standardized in terms of how it's done, like everywhere across the world in terms of like that system you just described where you eliminate the last person and you, again, you, you yeah, count who There's are, who plenty are. of alternative voting systems out there and they all have pros and cons, but um, the beauty of this one is it really 
captures voters' preferences in a useful way, but it's also very simple. Um, there's some other systems where you have to allocate points among the different candidates and things and people, are, there's analysis paralysis there or they, you know, poorly educated people can't figure that out necessarily. This one's so easy, everyone does it. Um, the rates of ballot spoilage are not hugely higher uh, in places that adopt this than they were before. And so, you know, the, the empirical data also supports uh, my answer to your question, Rich. Um, it's not particularly confusing. Right, and, and it's fine. And we've talked about this once or twice before, and I, I just don't, I don't see the downside. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a couple other arguments that are commonly made against it. Um, one is that somehow this is going to favor one party over another. Um, and the answer is no, it's going to favor whoever the majority prefers. The majority is not nearly as polarized as national politics would have you believe right now. Um, and, you know, we think this will end up leading to more moderate outcomes because candidates will have to appeal to broader groups of voters. Right now, you can win a primary with 22%. We've got, um, you know, former governors Patrick and Weld, uh, you know, one Democrat and one Republican as co-chairs of our campaign. And Governor Weld loves to talk about he's been in any number of smoke-filled rooms over the years where he hears, hey, if we can just, you know, raise this much money, we'll get 30% win the primary and we're good. And, you know, if you only have to appeal to 30% of the voters, um, you really don't have to do as much governing as you do if you actually were responding to the needs of the majority. And as a result, people get turned off from voting because so many of the candidates don't appeal to them. So more candidates end up entering the race when you have ranked choice voting, which is great. Um, more groups are represented. And then interestingly, negative campaigning goes down. Um, if I you know, need your supporters second place votes, I'm not likely to want to attack you. Um, and we actually saw this in Maine a couple of years ago. There was a, a couple of candidates campaigned together saying, look, put me first and her second. But if you're not going to put me first, put her first and me second. Um, sure. If you're in a ranked choice voting race and you're going house to house trying to get candidates to support you and you see a sign for one of your opponents under the current system, you're going to walk past that house. Under ranked choice voting, you might stop there and still want to talk to that voter. And it just leads to much more engagement. Yeah, and, and it gives, like you said, it gives the, the voter who doesn't think that their vote makes a difference or feels like there's no candidate that really represents them. It gives them a little bit more freedom without being labeled as a sabotager, right? So you take in Maine, like Su Susan Collins for a Sarah Gideon, a pretty, a pretty important race for, for U.S. Senate. And it could come, it, it will probably be a pretty close vote. And it allows some of the people who want to maybe vote for a third candidate to do that, but they can still have a say in one of the two uh, candidates who's probably going to win. Totally. There's a couple independents in that race, and I don't even know if they'd be in that race otherwise. And so a bunch of people whose views wouldn't get, you know, heard in the election actually get heard. The other neat thing is someone wins all these elections and they're still thinking about how to win the next election. And so they actually have to think about, you know, addressing the needs of more groups than their base um, if they want to get reelected, because you've got to get to 50 percent somehow. Is this making any headway? You know, it's on the ballot, obviously, here in Massachusetts next month. Do you, where are you optimistic where it can go? You know, you mentioned it's in the South for like military ballots, but is it hopefully this is going to gain momentum here around the country more? Do you feel like the well, next there's a lot of momentum in many different states? There's nascent organizing groups in, in a lot of different states um, on this topic. Uh, what, what's neat is our campaign is totally grassroots organized. 
this isn't a case where some out-of-state group came in and said you should do this and found people locally to do it. Um, it's totally grassroots organized in Massachusetts. We've gotten funding from all over, but uh, the people running and organizing the campaign and volunteering for it are all local. And uh, there may be some out-of-state volunteers, but, but the people who are put the campaign together are all local. And um, that's happening a lot of places as people see how the current electoral system is failing us. Uh, this year, there's also a ballot measure in Alaska uh, for a version of ranked choice voting um, that, that's up for, for a vote. Um, the Republican Party in Utah has been using ranked choice voting for their nominating process for a long time, and there's actually a move afoot to put it, um, get it enacted legislatively there this year for all Utah elections coming up. Um, and uh, Danny, some Tanner Ange is a county commissioner out there. He's a big supporter, so shout out to Tanner Ange. Nice. But, Tanner Ange is the star of the, uh, of the great COVID Tanner Ainge, the unlikely star of right? an uh, uh, interesting uh, you should be wearing your mask video. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you see that, Bureau? I did see that. He, he shut down the meeting when the other people came in without masks. Was that the... Uh, yeah, handled himself thinking? well. Yeah, just was like, hey, this isn't, you know, we're not going to do this. Not, uh, not particularly related to ranked choice voting, but he's a supporter, as is the current governor and uh, likely next governor of Utah, um, Gary Herbert and Spencer Cox. Um, but for right now, you know, the eyes of the electoral reform movement are really on Massachusetts because Maine's a small state and it's viewed sort of more weirdly. It's always had a strange electoral system up there, the way they do their electoral college votes and some other things. So Massachusetts is the first real big state with a major urban area um, to try this statewide. And, you know, hopefully we'll succeed. If we don't, it's going to be trouble for a lot of these other places. Um, that want to make change to their electoral system because the current system is failing us. It just pushes people to the extremes all the time because you only need, you just got to get a block of 25 to 30% um, of people together to win a primary. And, um, you know, if you need to get to 50%, you just have to appeal to the center. And all of the information we have about voting nationally says the country is not nearly as divided as our politics and politicians would have us believe right now. Um, but it's only moving that way culturally because of the electoral system that we have. So um, hopefully, you know, we can we can get this in place in Massachusetts and elsewhere. And it can sort of cur curb extremism a little bit. That's totally the plan. You know, it's, it's interesting. Extremists win less under ranked choice voting. Um, but people on the fringes have their views heard more because they can actually support their candidate like you said earlier, uh, and still have a say in which of the more mainstream candidates wins. And the mainstream candidates, you know, then have to pay attention to these other people in the race and address their issues. So it's sort of paradoxical. There's people, more people uh, on the edges or who feel left out, who aren't necessarily on the edge politically, but are just of populations that aren't, don't feel well served by politics, um, get heard, but the outcomes move to the middle. How would you compare this for you, like compare it to like a playoff run? Is this like the Eastern Conference Finals? Is this like the finals you feel like you're in right now? I like have, is it that, is like, it that close to the, <laughs> to the finish line? I've got no experience in this stuff at all, which has also made this uh, an interesting and fun thing for me to be involved in just because I, I, it's a world I just know nothing about. Um, and I got involved because I sort of believed in it in a geeky way, like the question I asked Brian earlier, you know, I thought this was going to improve democracy. But the ins and outs of the political stuff uh, are new to me. I got to be uh, part of a call with the Globe editorial board talking about an endorsement. Oh, wow. Did, know, did, did, did they make Governor it? Well, it? Governor, yeah, it came out on Sunday. They endorsed us, which is a fantastic endorsement to get, obviously, in Massachusetts. But uh, 
you know, we're so appreciative. But it was a little odd to be on the call with, you know, Governor Weld and the, the town clerk of Hopkinton and Jake Auchincloss and a bunch of other, you know, I would say more prominent people than me, uh, certainly in the political field. Um, and to be talking with the Globe Editorial Board, that was very much a new experience for me. Because when did this start? Like when, is it like two years? How, how long the have you been? been going for three or four years, but I got involved about two and a half years ago. I tweeted about it um, when Maine first started voting with Frank Choice Voting. And they, they, I don't remember if they tweeted or DM'd at me, but one or the other saying, hey, we're trying to do this in Massachusetts, you know, and at the time there were probably a couple hundred people on our email list and like 50 bucks in the bank and there's like, you know, 20 people working on the campaign. And, you know, now, um, you know, we've raised millions of dollars and we've got, you know, 6,000 volunteers working uh, on the campaign and we, we, had, we did the biggest signature gathering drive in Massachusetts ballot question history uh, last fall. And then for the second portion of it that you have to do under mass law, we had to convince the Supreme Judicial Court to let us do electronic signature gathering, um, which we did, uh, and then did another drive, the first ever uh, in American history, ballot question electronic signature drive. Um, and that got us on the ballot. Uh, and I, I, I can't believe it, but um, I mean, I can believe it because the idea is great, right? The trick with this thing is when people hear about what it is, they realize it lets them fully express their preferences uh, about who wins an election much better than the current system does. They vote for it. Um, but people who don't know about it are scared that we're trying to mess with the way they vote. And that's totally reasonable thing to be scared about when people are trying to mess with the way you vote. So it's an education campaign rather than a mind changing campaign. Um, the idea sort of sells itself. And the pattern was the same in Maine. New York, I, I should have said earlier, New York City voted last year to adopt it for city elections starting in 2021. Um, you know, and their process was at the start, they had 39% support and they ended up winning with 71. And in Maine, I think it was 35% and they ended up winning the first time with 62%. And we started out in a WBUR poll about a month ago with, with 36%. So we'll see. We had other polls coming out soon, I hope, that will we'll tell us how we're doing. Really? Just 36%? But that's normal. It's the same that, as that's it's just like to, yeah. for people who don't know what ranked choice voting is. You say, hey, do you want to change the way you vote to ranked choice voting? They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> slow like, down. Hang on a second. Um, but when you explain it to them, overwhelmingly, they vote in favor of it. And so um, the goal of this campaign, that's the reason I'm doing this podcast, uh, is to explain to people exactly what it is that this does and why it's helpful. So what's the simplest pitch you can give like for parents or just people who don't, you know, like you don't want to, you know, go, if you don't want to go overboard in the details, but like make a 30 second pitch, like what's the best way you think to get through to people? To Yeah. You know, how often do you go to the ballot box and you're forced to choose between the lesser of two evils? You know, if we enact ranked choice voting, you'll get to choose which candidate you like best and also have a say among the most popular candidates. Uh, we all rank things all the time. You know how to do it. I'll show you the ballot and you'll be able to do it. And, you know, within a minute, you'll understand how to do it. Um, and it gives you more choice and more voice in the outcome of election. I'm sold. Done. You like it? That was a you know, So, I mean, Rich, I think we can say this, you know, we're going to give the Winning Place podcast, we'll give it its endorsement. Yes, oh, yes, the Boston Globe. Very exciting. We, we, we yeah. finally got the winning place endorsement. We've been <laughs> waiting for this, like this whole election cycle. It's been three but, years. And, um, we haven't given I, one I yet. I can't tell you how excited the campaign is going to be uh, when, I, when I call them after this call to tell them um, <laughs> that we did manage to get the winning place endorsement. The Globe endorsement was great. 
But uh, now that we're placing endorsement, it just, just you know, I, I hope this puts us over the top. I'll be surprised if it doesn't. I was just going to say, so when the latest polls come out, if it's not as good as you thought, just give it a little bit of time for this endorsement. Yeah, the, to sort of yeah how quickly do podcasts come out? I mean, it depends. We can save it. You, know, we- you better get going on it. People are already voting. Um, that's the biggest challenge. It's not a normal election where you can just do a bunch of advertising right before election day and get to people. We've got people voting today. So, um, you know, I have my ballot here now. Um, I don't know if I'll do mail-in or in person, but I, I have a ballot uh, with, the, with the question on it in front of me. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, so, I'm unable to vote in Massachusetts now, unfortunately, but I will get my family for sure. Anyone, anyone that, I, that I speak to back home, question two. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, listen, if, if, they, if they like voting the way they do now, um, they can still vote yes for this question and then just fill out the first column each time. That's fine. Okay. I think that's a big deal too. Let other people express all their preferences. Right. Like having that, I didn't know that that, I mean, it makes sense. Obviously you don't, you know, just so you have ranked choice voting doesn't mean you have to do it for every single race. But I think that's an, that's an important thing to stick out to people. Like, Hey, you having this option, it can't be a bad thing. So I think that's a feature. There's been people who are talking about um, exhausted ballots where uh, somehow and I'm exhausted even talking about exhausted. <laughs> um, this is this is a complaint about ranked choice voting that I just don't understand. So, if you don't fill out all of the columns, and two people end up being the last two, when you know you start eliminating candidates, no one gets fifty percent, uh, and it comes down to two candidates, and one of them is going to get fifty percent, and you didn't rank either of those candidates. Uh, there are some critics of ranked choice voting who say, well that's not fair. Your vote didn't count towards the outcome and somehow you've been disenfranchised or your ballot's been exhausted. Um, When you go to the polls, if you choose to vote for Senate and you don't vote for County Commissioner, we don't say you've been disenfranchised. We say you you chose not to vote for County Commissioner. Um, if If there's a runoff election and you choose not to go to the polls, we don't say you've somehow been disenfranchised or your vote was exhausted. It was like you chose not to go. And it's the same thing here. You have the option to rank all the candidates if you want. And if you don't want to rank all of them, if you're like, look, I really like this guy ahead of this guy. I like this guy ahead of this guy. These last two guys, I don't care which one of them wins. I'm just not even going to say which one I like better than the other. I'm just putting all these other people ahead of them. Um, And you choose not to vote and it comes down to those two people that you didn't rank. You didn't have a preference between them. You know, the other good argument against this is, of course, right now you're exhausted after one vote. So if you voted for the guy who finished fifth, like too bad, you didn't get a say, uh, your ballot's immediately exhausted. Uh, in the election we were talking about earlier, the fourth district this year, 44% of people voted for one of the top two candidates. So does that mean that 56% of people had their ballots exhausted? In the most right. recent election in Maine, 90% of people filled out all the columns. So only 10% even had a shot to have an exhausted ballot, whereas currently we're saying like 50 or 60% of people have their ballots exhausted in the primaries. It's a weird, weird argument against it. Um, you have the chance to rank everyone. And if you choose not to, then you said you didn't have a preference between those two people if, if it comes down to them. And when you say 46% chose the top two, that's staggering. How many people are voting for someone else? Well, right. And it just, you know, that's the way this primary was. There were a lot of good candidates in this primary, but you know, we looked at it, 48% of general elections in Massachusetts are won without a majority. So 48%. I think it's 48, it might be 41%, I'm sorry. Uh, it's in the 40s. Um, and so, like, 
if all these elections are being won without majorities, like that's just not democracy. It's back to the point we made at the start of the podcast, right? Like you, you should want to know what the majority thinks if you're going to have a democracy. At least Brian says he does. So, <laughs> no, he said he wasn't sure, actually. I know he said he was, and then I sort of pushed him on it yeah. and he got worried it was a trick question, which it wasn't. Um, but I, I just, you know, it, it seems to me like this system is simple. It's easy to enact. It's not expensive. One of the complaints has been it's really expensive. It took the whole state of Maine $83,000 to put it into place. Jesus. Um, wow. and, what, and, what's that, and what's that even go to? Like, what's like that eight cents for? per voter. They had to change out some machines, which we will not have to do in Massachusetts. There are some machines that are getting changed out anyway that won't support it. But by 2022, when this goes into effect, all the approved machines in Massachusetts will be uh, ones that can you know, handle a ranked choice ballot. Um, it goes mostly to education of voters, just to make sure they understand what they're seeing the first time. Um, you know, polls in Maine and Oakland and Minneapolis have all shown that even the first time voters do it, they express overwhelming satisfaction with ranked choice voting because it lets them express their preferences better. You're complicated. Your vote shouldn't, shouldn't just be for one person. You have complicated preferences, all of you listening. All right, so, so speaking of voting, during, during the, uh, the pandemic break in the spring, we as a podcast voted the Kendrick Perkins for Jeff Green trade as our our our, our worst trade of the of the Danny Ainge uh, era as Celtics uh, president. And I think that you you were a fan of that trade. Um, yeah, I'm Would not going to talk too much about Celtics stuff on here, but uh, so I you stand, don't want you don't want to dispel the. I the stand wholeheartedly by that trade. Um, and, uh, and that's all I'll say about it here today. There'll be some other time when we can go over the details of it and I can explain why, but uh, I don't regret that trade at all. And, uh, I think we, we've made worse ones. <laughs> okay. That's good. That's what we'll get into next time. Trade, uh, that trade, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm still totally behind that trade. If, if there was ranked choice voting, Jeff would have, would have been a and B could have been Harden. C could have been Kevin Durant. Right. And they and they got to choose what they wanted. Um, <laughs> that was, no, that's not how <laughs> that trade went. At all. Did I miss the whole point of the half-hour conversation? <laughs> yes. We didn't go back to the top of Rachel. I really felt like I did a good job explaining right. Rachel's <laughs> voting, and uh, it turns out I may not have. I was just trying to extend the conversation about basketball. I'm sorry, I've derailed the conversation. Mike, do you guys can you use ranked choice voting in other parts of life? In terms so you, of you already do. I just gave you the example with the sandwiches. Um, you know, you go to the ice cream store, you know, you want Rocky Road ice cream, but they're out. You don't leave. You say, no, I'll have cookie dough. And if they say, oh, they're out of cookie dough, you say, I'll have Oreo. I like cookies in my ice cream. What can I say? But, <laughs> but uh, Is Rocky Road the, your first choice? No, my <laughs> first choice is probably Oreo in most places. Yeah. Mint uh, chip, maybe? I, no, I never meant. No, I, I'm not, not a fan of mint ice creams. But uh other people are, and they can express their preference and get whatever ice cream they want. Is but it every draft big board ranked choice voting? Is that? You know, if you had to express your preferences um, in advance, you could do that where each team would just submit a ranked choice ballot and, and, you know, the first pick would make their pick and then the second pick would pick from among the remaining, remaining choices with their rankings. You could do that. Uh, it wouldn't allow for mid-draft trades. That would make things That's difficult. true. That would be no um, fun. You know, we've... I had a discussion with some NBA media people about, um, you know, choosing awards this way. And, um, you know, the difficulty there is there's some meaning to knowing, you know, the 
way it works right now is it's like a first place went worth five points, second place three, third place one, or something like that. Right. Um, and they want to be able to compare upcoming votes for those things to historical ones. Yeah. It's been done the same way for a long time. And, you know, that doesn't matter so much in a representative democracy where you really care about who's governing you. But for the media stuff around NBA awards, I, I do think it, you know, historical context is a useful and important thing. And so they probably won't change that anytime soon. And the stakes are just much bigger, much different. You're talking about the president I'm versus the MVP. I'm not sure I would say bigger. I think our electoral <laughs> system is pretty important these days. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a much bigger, well, much that more way important bigger, yeah. than whether Giannis wins another MVP. Uh, I'm not going to take a position on players winning, particular players winning NBA awards. But okay, I will fine. Say our electoral system is more important than that. There's no doubt. Okay, uh, cool. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I, I hope everyone is feels educated after this conversation. Cause like you said, what, what, what's, what are your stats? They say if, if someone listens to it for two minutes, they're. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, there's different polls that show different things, but nearly all of them show that if you get a two minute explainer of ranked choice voting, the vast majority of people are in favor of it. Um, and, you know, without any explainer, most people aren't cause they don't know what it is. And, and so um, hopefully this has helped some people, but if you need to know more, you can go to yes on to rcv.com. That's our campaign website. You can get a yard sign. You can volunteer to call people and let them know what it is. You can donate to the campaign. Um, or you can just learn more about ranked choice voting. Yes on to rcv.com. Do you have you have a yard sign? Of course. How many? Just one? Just two. There's two. two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's, there's trees. It's you know, you want cars <laughs> coming from both directions to be able to see them. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's a y- yes on two. Yes, yes on two. two. You vote yes on two. Thanks, for, having me, Thanks for coming on, Mike. Appreciate the endorsement too. Thanks so much.